Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 197. We're glad you could join us today. We've got a wide range of topics and a guest. So let's get started with uh, introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hi, I'm Soraya Zell, and I have a bag of um, Starburst Favorite Jelly Beans, which are fantastic. Again, are they, we, like, all... we have the highest caliber professional multimedia podcasting going on here at all times. So this is... We this are an is empire. A, this is a shame, <laughs> shameless unpaid plug. Um, so, yeah, so you get, it's a bag of Starburst jelly beans that the only three flavors in it is watermelon, cherry, and strawberry. Holy shit, dude. Those oh are like the gosh. best ones. Exactly. Damn. See, I have to bring up a quick story here because for one year, Livy had told me, hey, I really like Starbursts, um, like the pink Starbursts. I'm like, okay. And my brother caught wind of this. And so as a joke, he got her like one of those big like shipping tubes, like, you know, like the big like three footers that you like roll up, uh, you know, posters or whatever. And so you can mail them, they won't get crumpled. And bought like an industrial sized bag of pink Starbursts from Amazon to fill this tube and then give it to her as a gift. And Amazon continually harasses me every month if I want to reorder the same one again and again. <laughs> and I don't know how to turn it off. And it's like, are you sure you don't want to buy 15 pounds of Starburst? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a one-off. Like, I think I think she's sick of them. We're done now. So, um, you know, I, I, I can appreciate you know, your, your bag of, of Starbursts and uh, jelly beans and that sort of thing. Because if you buy them in bulk, they will never leave you alone. So Shit, shit man. I didn't even there. know you could do that. That's... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, That's it's crazy. crazy. All right, That's legit. you can you can yeah, actually in my head. I just pictured a room with little kids sorting Starburst out for you. <laughs> no, yeah, I, thought, yeah, I thought it. that's where you're going. I thought Dante, uh, Pokey's brother Dante, was going to like literally take a year, and every time he buy, buys a bag of Starburst, he just calls out the pink ones and put a, puts them in a bag somewhere. You know, <laughs> that that, 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 that would have been real effort. That's what I was looking saying. for. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't deliver a better story. It, it, took some, it took some of the magic out when he just uh, industrial ordered them from Amazon. Just your. 55 gallon drama, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bate, you're up, man. Just shout out hey. your introduction. What's up, guys? My name is Bate, and for those of you at home wondering like I am, uh, 10 pounds of Starburst in bulk will run you for 40 bucks, and and they have prime shipping, uh, so there's <laughs> always that. Uh, but yeah, dude, I am I am Florida man, and uh, if you guys can't tell, I'm a little bit sick, so to combat that, I am armed with water and uh, fucking cupcakes. He's also one of our uh, primary fitness uh, concierge on the show as well. Hey, fuck you, man. I lift. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And so our special guest for this week is going to be uh, a longtime friend of myself and Jay. Nomex, uh, tell us who you are. Thank you much. I appreciate that. Um, my name is Nomex Galton. Uh, I am with Direct Action Resources. Um, we're kind of getting the team together now and getting back into PC gaming for the launch of Project Nomex. Yeah, a little backstory there. Nomex is actually part of uh, OSG Planetary Operations, which was the corporation that uh, both Jay and myself were part of when Dust was still running, and and we did a lot of really cool stuff together. And you know, we'll we'll probably get into that um, someday, kind of the the details of of all the cool stuff we did. But uh, you know, like I said, longtime friend. We're glad to have him on, and uh, just kind of want to show him what we're doing here and kind of get a feel for it. So, welcome, Nomex. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate it. All right, Jay, you are up. Word. Uh, I'm Jay. I'm also one of the uh, co-hosts here on the, uh, the 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 mighty biomass multimedia empire, uh, such as it is. And uh, in honor of show 197, 
believe that is the year that Galen, uh, Galen the, I believe it's Galen the Lesser, uh, he actually wrote some of his initial treatises on medicine and surgery. Uh, so for your, those of you that don't know that aren't actual classic historians, uh, Galen is essentially the father of modern medicine uh, in terms of what he did with uh, pharmacology and basic medical practices and surgery uh, back in the days of the ancient Greeks. Look at the pink brain on Jason. Oh yeah, I, trivia I, every week. I, so, nerd. so I was able, I was able to. So, there's some, there's some things I can give you long answers on, and there's a lot I got to Google. Uh, so, I was making a stock and trade off of like out of the first 100 episodes of the show, basically, uh, for the rec, You know, like we're almost at the episode 200, by the way, uh, which is kind of kind of a cool thing when you think about it. Uh, we so we've been around for a minute, but for about the first 100 shows. I, I had memorized the um, uh, the atomic table like a long, long, long time ago. And it's just something I always kept up on. Uh, I was very fascinated by it in school. And so that was always like one of the, my little go-to trivies. In fact, I, there were uh, uh, – Nomex, you'll, you'll appreciate this. There have been a couple times in rotary wing aircraft that things were looking very, very sporty. And I would recite the atomic table to get my mind off whatever it was happening that I could not control. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. It's, a st- it's definitely story, definitely stories for, for something outside of a video game podcast, but um, th- that was one of my techniques. So I was able to get, get away with that. But the, one of the other things I can dick, ditch into pretty hard is, uh, is classic history. Uh, so anyway, there you go. That's my story for episode 197. Fantastic. And uh, I am uh, Pokey Draven. I obviously help do the uh, the show here, and I also run the Dungeon Crawl YouTube series with Livy. And we're, we're kind of in the process of uh, producing and editing a lot of the stuff for Near Automata, and we are also finishing up uh, Shadow of Colossus when we get a chance. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep moving forward with that. But we do have a lot of topics we want to cover this, uh, this week here, so let's get started. Um, so, Zell, I think you kind of brought some to my attention. There was a bit of a uh, change to the schedule for release for Infinity War, the new Marvel flick coming out. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about what went down on Twitter with that? I do, uh, but I, I'm trying to load my web browser. He's trying to load his web browser. So <laughs> we'll fill in here real quick. Um, so there was kind of a, a post where Robert Downey Jr. on his personal Twitter account was like, hey, uh, you know, I am really looking forward to seeing the Infinity War movie. Like, it's going to be pretty good. And then the official Twitter account for the film responded like, yeah, we're excited too. And Robert Downey was like, hey, could I see it early? And like, yeah, we could probably pull that. And he's like, well, what about me and the rest of the world? And they're like, that'd be cool. Let's do it. So they have pushed the release date for Infinity War up a week. In, in a show where we often report on things being delayed, uh, you'll actually get to see this one a little bit early. So the new release date for Infinity War is going to be actually April 27th. So, yay. The marketing people had fun with this one. They, this, was, yeah. this was literally, you can tell that there's like either the same person or two people sitting right next to each other have access to the Marvel and and downey jr's accounts and they just sat there and went back and forth but you know it, it was it was amusing yeah because this all went down in a matter of like a couple of minutes they were they were pretty quick on it but uh it's it's cute you know you, you saw this kind of thing happen with uh the deadpool uh film when that was coming out and they they heavily heavily use social media and twitter in particular to kind of push and and uh you know get the hype rolling and it's it's a real cheap way i mean it's basically free 
to to do a, a fun announcement for these sort of things. So it's it's pretty cool. So April twenty seventh is gonna be the new release date for Infinity War. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, we probably should get a final trailer pretty quick here. That's only a month and a half away, so it should be good. So another one that uh, I'm actually pretty pumped for. Uh, did you all see Wreck-It Ralph, that originally like, that Disney flick yes. with the, the, the video game one? Yeah. Wreck-It Ralph 2 is a- coming out. with John C. Riley, I'm down for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. So it's getting a sequel. I think we had news for a while. I think it's uh, technically called Ralph Breaks the Internet, um, but it is Wreck-It Ralph 2. It is a direct sequel to the first film. This trailer looks absolutely fantastic. Like, if you are at all involved with the internet or know the culture or the memes or any of that, even in this trailer, you can see that this whole film is going to be just packed full of this stuff. I think it's going to be great. Um, what do you guys think about this one, though? It's pretty solid. It, it's. I think they're definitely kind of going to pick up, uh, n- maybe not exactly where they left off, but they'll. Do, they're going to do. Uh, they're probably going to do some pretty good business off this. I'm actually. You know, pretty interested in this with uh, this and in, in Incredibles, which we Incredibles two, which we talked about I think mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Uh, so looks like a good uh, good summer of uh, kids movies shaping up, which is which works. My kids nine and a half, so I'll I'll definitely be taking those in. I'm uh, I'm hoping for some you know subtle subtle commentary on uh, you know the difference between uh, the the games that uh, were you know in the arcade and the um, you know, push pancakes to one side and milkshakes yes. to the other of, of, of uh, you know, the modern era of, of gaming. Um, I, I suspect that it will be subtle, but it will be there um, because uh, that that scene was was hilarious. Oh, with the, the pancakes. Yeah, <laughs> that's the good thing with these flicks is that, you know, it it's obviously marketed towards children, but they really do a good job of getting that adult humor in there to to make it so it's not a total snooze fest for the, the adults. And, you know, I, I don't have kids that are of, you know, movie bearing age yet. You know, they're, they're still too young, but I, I still like to go see these because they are pretty funny. And I think that with how entrenched, you know, I am and, and obviously all of us here are kind of in internet culture and that sort of thing. This is going to be really up my alley. So it should be pretty good. It looks really good, like visually, um, it would, which I think is one of my favorite things about these, these Disney, these Pixar movies is just how well they look. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, it, it should be good, and if it's anything like the first, I think it should be really solid, and it it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty fun. So looking forward to it. So uh, Thanksgiving, I think they said that comes out right. Uh yes, Thanksgiving is when it's releasing. Sweet. Okay, so another one that we have covered like a hundred times, and I won't get into it again too too heavily, but Ready Player One is one that I'm hotly anticipating. Uh, there's some new final trailers. There's honestly a lot of trailers. They're all kind of different cuts of a lot of the same content, but I did spot a few new scenes. Uh, I think I saw a couple of Battleborn characters in this most recent one. You know, just, it's all over the place. They just and, like, were know. they just able to pick those up really budget then? Is that? <laughs> yeah, they were probably like, you know, free. They're like, uh, if you give us five bucks, you know, that's about how much it's going to be worth because Battleborn, you know isn't quite living up to, to some of the expectations people were hoping for. But it's good to see that they've really got such a wide uh, a wide spread of things. I mean, I think there's a Clark Kent reference. I mean, they're obviously getting into that level and, and beyond and games and movies and comics. It's just all over the place. And I would love to see how they figured it all out legally. But, you know, it, it should be it should be a real treat. And it's it's going to be one of those ones that I'll probably actually, you know, buy on disc because I 
want to go through like every scene like 12 times to see what I can spot because even in these trailers, you know, you could watch them dozens of times and not catch everything. And, and I think that'll be really fun to kind of look at, you know, a little a little closer under a, a fine tooth comb as opposed to just, you know, one and done in the theater. So I'm, I'm hyped for this one. I think it's going to be great. Okay, so uh, Black Panther, um, Marvel flick came out a few weeks ago. Um, I unfortunately did not get a chance to see it, but as promised, we do kind of our spoiler review. So if you have not seen it and you care about spoilers, um, plug your ears because I'm going to have the guys who did see it talk about it for a little bit. Um, But for those of you here who did see the film, um, you know, what were your thoughts? And you can, like I said, go into spoilers on this one and overall rating that sort of thing. So I'll kind of open well, the floor to you guys. So, so Nomax, did you see it? No, I, I have not seen it. I, I apologize. Sorry. <laughs> I can't bring any content to this. Are, are you worried about spoilers? Do you plan on seeing it or? No, I'm not worried about spoilers. So okay. All right. Okay. Then take away, I, guys. I just, I just want to check. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, us having a guest isn't, you know, rare territory these days. And so I, I just want <laughs> wanted to ask. Yeah, I appreciate that, but uh, go go right ahead, fellas. I'll, if I get to it, I, it'll probably be when it comes out on uh, iTunes or something. Okay, so Zell, I think you're the one that kind of initially talked about the film a couple weeks ago, and you you thought it was it was okay, and I think Bate kind of I, agreed with you. So. No, you you got that backwards. Bate said it it, it was okay, oh, right. and then you I agreed right. with him like a week later when I went to see it. The fucking record show. Yeah, Bate, yeah, yeah. Bate, yeah. Bate was, was right, right like once. That episode that, title. I, Hallmark, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it to you. I, Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it was it was decent. It just wasn't like amazing, and um, like I I don't know. It's it's so the the whole whole thing is is your your villain is a character that was kind of abandoned to grow up in kind of the um you know poor uh black communities here in the United States. And meanwhile, you have this, uh, you know, city of Wakanda, which is is this ridiculously futuristic community that is is, you know, wealthy and everything. Everyone has, you know, everything that they could want in this little isolated walled in area that nobody knew existed because they use holograms and everything to make sure that uh, nobody in the outside world knows they exist. Um and so much of the debate is is that um you know this this villain killmonger actually seems like he's not the villain for for from a uh story standpoint because he's the one who wants to say well let's take all this we have and try to improve life for everyone who's like us worldwide um but his i I mean obviously being the villain his approach is violent he thinks that they should you know use the resources they have to to upend the the current global status um and uh you know take over so uh, overall uh general thoughts let's i I guess let's let's break it down very quick what did you guys think about how the movie looked just like the the style of the movie oh it it looked fantastic yeah yeah it was it was definitely it was probably one of the, the neatest looking marvel movies that that I think I've seen, I'll definitely give it that. I'm, no, I mean, I, I would agree. They uh, they 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 absolutely threw down on the the money. Um, they spent. I think they were talking about that the the kind of running average for a Marvel movie these days. Uh, they spent about 170 million, and they bumped this one up to 200. Uh, and and it looks 30 million dollars better. It it absolutely does. 
That's legit. And they made that back too, right? Oh, they they yeah. well, I mean, it's one of those things like it's it's um the numbers of what you spend on a movie and the numbers of what the movie makes in ticket sales aren't really directly applicable because you know, your ticket sales include the fact that the majority of that uh, money or at least a big part of it uh goes to the theaters themselves. Um Oh, no shit. Well, I mean, obviously, some of it goes to the theaters, but but they, more of it I mean, goes to the theaters than the the people who made the um, thing. The the split it depends on the movie, the studio, gotcha. and a bun a bunch of different things. But um, you know, they spent two hundred million making the movie, and the movie made two hundred million in ticket sales on opening weekend. That's not that's not quite hitting the the you know break even point for you know Marvel Studios itself. Um, but clearly, you know, given that that is not an expectation, usually they spend 170 million. They hope to make, you know, maybe half that back, um, in, in ticket sales and opening weekend. Um, it was a huge opening for them. Yeah. It looks like as of Friday, they're looking at about 780 million, uh, worldwide just on Friday. And it's, it's been a a full weekend, you know, since then. So I can only imagine what it's going to be at, you know, uh, come, you know, the airing of the show. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty legit. Uh, I'd say overall, like technically, you know, again, really good. My my general impression now, having seen additional footage of uh, of the movie, uh, although not in a theater, uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, it, it's again visually really good. I actually thought uh, Chadwick Boseman, the guy that played uh, Black Panther, was really good. Uh, the the actor that played Killmonger, which I, th- I think he's the guy that played um, was, um, Creed. Fucking, yes, yeah, yeah, he, Creed. he played Creed. Um, he was also the uh, really good, really Human good. Torch in the last Fantastic oh, Four yep. movie. Um, right. the, uh, <laughs> the, I would say the the biggest strength out of this movie was uh, the two villains. So uh, the Creed guy, and then uh, Andy Serkis, who plays uh, Ulysses Claw, which is kind of a longtime comic villain of uh, of uh, Black Panther. Both of them were outstanding. I, I thought Andy Serkis was exceptional as a as a bad guy. Um, so I generally f- go ahead. I'm sorry, Zell. I felt like he got discarded too quickly. He, I didn't, he ex- did. yeah. I didn't expect yeah. that, I mean, that was, that was probably the biggest thing that I didn't expect them to do with this movie. Um, especially because he was first introduced in age of Ultron. Um, it, it seemed like they were building him up to be more than just a character that got discarded halfway into the, into the movie. Right. Right. Well, I think that's generally the Marvel movies have done one one thing smarter than most other superhero movies. They they kill a lot less of their villains at the end of the first time you see them than any of the other ones, uh, because that's that that really is one of the, the Achilles heels of a lot of superhero, particularly DC superhero movies. You've got these incredibly deep stories, and you could argue that most supervillains, quote unquote, have as compelling or as deep of a history as the superhero that they are the foil of. And so it doesn't really do you a lot of good to like kill them off. Like in the first, you know, in the first time you see him, Marvel does generally a pretty good job of that. I thought like um, the way they did Michael Keaton's character in Spider-Man, uh, the vulture, that was mm, probably, that was really probably my favorite Marvel villain yet. Uh, generally. And and I got a lot of the same kind of undertones from these guys, or at least I, I did from the uh, from the uh, Creed guy. And that was just sort of my take on it. Uh, from what I've seen of Andy Serkis, he was really he was really good in it. Uh, I don't think I, saw, I don't think I saw all of his scenes, but they were really really solid. 
what I did see, but you, you killed him and you killed, you know, I, you assume that, uh, Killmonger is dead. So that's, that's the one thing I really didn't like about this one in terms of that, in terms of setting it up for something you do down the road. I think that there were a lot of characters that I, I was supposed to care about. Like, I think the only character that I felt something for was, was Michael B. Jordan's character was Killmonger. Um, yeah, I've heard that a lot, actually, that more I, people identify with the bad guy. Well, I mean, it's it's like not even that I identify with him. I think he was more developed. Like, I, I don't think, um, what's his name, Chadwick Boseman? Yeah. I, I, I don't think, it's not that his character wasn't developed. I, I just, I, I feel like he didn't, I don't know. It's going to sound weird, but like, I didn't feel like he, he brought anything. If that makes sense, that's, you know, no, that's not no, to say I'm, that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm buying it. Like he, he just was just, it was just it kind of there. It, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so like, even, you know, there's that scene where, uh, a uh, Killmonger, like, like throws him off the side of the waterfall and it's like, Oh my God, they threw the, they threw the hero off the side of the waterfall. Whatever are we going to do? And it's like, no, you know, he's coming back. Um, but I didn't, I didn't feel anything there, you know, and I feel, I feel like that I was supposed to be like, oh my God, what's going to happen to fucking Wakanda? Um, and I, yep. I just didn't get that. I didn't get that with a lot of the characters either, which was disappointing, um, honestly. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that. Jill, how were you, you kind of about in the same place? I actually, I, I did read the uh, suggested point that uh, even uh, Chadwick Boseman himself considers uh, that Black Panther is kind of not in the right for for much of this movie, mm-hmm. um, and that was and a good that, interview. yeah, and and so um, yeah, I thought they probably did that that fairly well, um, but uh, yeah, because I I was reading the the point that for the most part, uh, his character is very reactionary. Things happen, you know, to him that he has to respond to, but that Black Panther himself does not do a lot of things. Um, and, and I think that that's probably true. Um, I don't know. It was a decent movie. Fair enough. So, so, so it is written. So uh, let's do our, our usual, like out of 10 rating, 10 being fantastic. What would you rate it at? So I gave you a rating last week. What was it? Remind me though. It was like a six or a seven. Okay. What about you? Uh, bait? Uh, dude, I give it a, a solid six and the hashtag make Wakanda great again. Oh, dear. And we're black hilarious. people in spaceships. <laughs> God damn it. No, I, I, I mean, I, I said it last week. I, st- I still think the funniest thing about this is, that this is, the, is for two-thirds of the movie, the entire meme or the trope is like, we've got a place that we want to keep all the refugees out of, mm-hmm. so we're going to build a fucking wall around it. Yeah. I'm, I'm dying laughing about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my favorite thing was, like, their whole solution, right, once they decided to end the movie that they're going to open up Wakanda to the rest of the universe was to build, like, a fucking uh, community center in Oakland. Like, I mean, you're not going to build an embassy somewhere. You're going to buy a building in Oakland and land your fucking spaceship in the middle of the basketball court. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I got to see this one so I, I can find out what all the, the fuss is about in, in both sides. But it, it seems like at the very least, it's it's one that's being talked about quite a bit and in a lot of different ways. And I've, I hear reviews on both sides um, pretty strongly. So I, I like to see those polarized films to kind of find out where I'm, I am ultimately in it. But all right. So, yeah, Black Panther, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's a polarized film. You've got a lot of buzz around it for various different reasons. And, uh, you know, it, it's at the very least going to be, I think, pretty uh, 
I'll say influential, but at the very least, it'll be, you know, uh, one to remember for, for moving forward and kind of uh, this sort of genre and how they handle different topics and that sort of thing. So moving along here, uh, Jay, I saw you put a note here in the notes uh, regarding the Witcher series that's coming to Netflix. Did you want to talk a little bit about that yeah. one? Yeah, no, that's that's just worth a very quick mention, then we can move on. So the, the Witcher, uh, very, very, very popular, uh, you know, sort of open form. Uh, game series uh, that kind of culminated Witcher 3 Wild Hunt uh, here, I guess, about a year, a little over a year ago um, from CD Projekt Red. They, that is a um, c- kind of one of those really benchmark style open world type games uh, that's out there. There's a lot of games, right? You know, there's a lot of games that, you know, if you kind of made an analogy where they were um in terms of world building and just like I said, this kind of big open ended games, there's a lot of games that uh, you can almost refer to as periodicals like hey this is this week's or this month's uh you know people magazine or you know sports illustrator or whatever that that would be a periodical where that you can go back and take a look at and find like something in there that you liked but ultimately it's superseded but then there are some things that are references that are like stand the test of time and like it is a a book or a work or a piece of content that you keep going back to that is referenced time and again uh, the Witcher series is probably more of a reference if you if you if you run that analogy out. So anyway, uh, they did. I did. Uh, I, I was. We started the conversation where we we're going to kind of talk. Look, you know, hey, who would you cast as as uh, Geralt and sort of the main character of The Witcher and you know this that that and the other. Uh, that was going to be the original part of the discussion. So as part of uh, looking into it, one that's probably a whole nother. Uh, segment we can go into in terms of like video game movies and like, you know, sort of casting call type stuff. But right now, one of the things that, uh, that is verified, so this is going to be a Netflix series coming out in 2018. Uh, it looks like uh, that it is not going to be is you know, at least the director very explicitly said it's, it's not going to be about the game series, but about the book. So the, the game series, the Witcher actually was uh, derived from, a, uh, a Polish fantasy novel novel that was actually quite popular in Central Europe. And then they, they took that whole world that the author had built and then transplanted that in the game relatively faithfully, by the way. Um, and there are some noticeable differences in, uh, you know, as sort of the game series has gone on. Long story short, it's going to be about the book and not about, or the books and not about the game. So it won't be like a direct uh, sort of sort of trace over and there's no actors attached to it for the lead character uh, well there there is a a mention in IMDB of a guy who's who's a character actor throughout like the 80s and the 90s uh, really mostly the 90s um, and he's he's like 70 right now so if they as the lead character uh, uh, Geralt the uh, who's like the witcher so long story short there is I think it's going to be noticeably different in terms of how the game sort of plays or how the show plays out could be done in flashback. I'm not sure. So we'll have to kind of wait and see, but I did just want to get a quick shout out to that since we found out it's going to be a little bit about more about the book and less about the, probably the video game series than, than what many people are probably thinking. Yeah. And I think that's typically the best way to, to handle adaptations. I think that in a lot of story driven games, you have stories that are like, 
I'll take an extreme example like Metal Gear Solid. Um, like Metal Gear Solid Four, if you take just the cutscenes and cut out all the gameplay, it's like eight hours long. Like that, you, you're going to struggle to translate that in a meaningful way into a movie. A series is a little more reasonable, but you know you often see movie adaptations. Uh, I think basing it more on a, the universe rather than specifically like the events that happened in the game gives you a lot more flexibility to you know do that sort of adaptation and without you know pissing people off because usually you end up with like for example you've got some recent like animes that have been adapted into movies on Netflix like uh, Metal uh, Full Metal Alchemist for example and it it just turns into this how many like iconic moments in the series can we cram into two hours and then you're left with this kind of rushed uncomfortable you know telling of a story rather than looking at it from the perspective of like here's an interesting world where things happen um you know it might reference events that happened in the original game or show or whatever um but it gives you more flexibility so i i think we'll probably pick up this discussion maybe next week uh once we've had a little more time to think about it in terms of you know what what film or what what games would adapt well into a series or a movie and how would you cast it and that sort of thing and how would you adapt it so that'll be a good discussion i think we'll probably save that for next week but uh you know gives us all a week to kind of think about it so you know give it some thought and we'll touch on that in a week here sounds good all right so let's move into some more gaming related news here uh zell you're kind of our, our typical overwatch correspondent here uh a new hero got announced do you want to tell us a bit about what her backstory is and what kind of gameplay she has and that sort of thing. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Brigitte is, uh, related to, uh, kind of related to two different existing, uh, characters. Uh, it is, uh, she is, uh, Torbjorn's daughter. And I, I guess her, like her godfather is, um, Reinhardt. And so, uh, she has a bit of the, the backstory of, of pulling from each of them. Uh, she is a support hero. Uh, she has like a Reinhardt like shield that really only is big enough to protect her and someone like standing directly behind her. Um, and, uh, she has a lot of, uh, healing abilities that are kind of designed to, uh, it's, it's a kind of a melee range healer. So she's, she's a bit tankier than the usual support because she can't hide behind the rest of the team. Um, and, uh, so a lot of her abilities focus on really, enabling like a push into a uh into like an an entrenched area yeah i i as with many of the other overwatch characters you know they they kind of unveil it with uh some of the fluff uh stuff i i still to this day the most anticipated video game movie or video game based movie is the one that nobody's talking about making which is one based on all the overwatch shorts because those things are, are wicked good um now there's uh, the, from what I read, and help me out here, Zell. Like I think it, she definitely has a move set that is is very much a hybrid of, like you said, of both Torborn and uh, Reinhardt. Correct. So I got the shield, but I think she's got some offensive capability that's that's somewhat reminiscent of both of them as well. Is that accurate? Um, I know she has like a like the shield comes. She has like a shield bashing ability. Um, and uh, I mean a lot of her. Her kind of heal tends to be uh, if you, I believe, if you already have full health, you get armor off of it. Yeah, I think her, um, the little armor she throws out is is reportedly better than what Torborn gives you. And her, the the way the developers kind of framed it in like a like a quick like a quick hit, it sounded like they were going for more of a almost Doomfist style melee approach with her. Well, obviously, probably not as not as powerful. 
That's interesting. So she's like a, a melee support character, but yeah. is like a mix between two. Of, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, pr- probably if you were gonna like reach, I, I was trying to, I, I was trying to, I couldn't really figure out what bucket to put her in. I think Zell had a really good description. The only one that came into my mind was, you kind of like the old Dungeons and Dragons, you know, like you know, frontline cleric. That was, you know, that was sort of what popped into my mind. Gotcha. That sounds pretty cool. Do we know when this is coming out, or is it already out? Um. My, uh, as with usual, I, we don't have an exact date for you, but when, uh, when Blizzard announce, announces an Overwatch hero, it's usually in the next week or two that, you, that you'll be able to play it. So, uh, it should be very quick, at least, uh, I believe it's probably already on their, their test realm thing. Yeah, I think it's on, it's definitely on the PC test server, uh, for sure. Uh, no, Max, I, I was just kind of curious, like you, you guys, uh, over in your, like uh, some of the stuff that you're putting out on your Twitch streams is predominantly battle battlefront uh, series. I believe. Do you guys ever dip into things like overwatch or rainbow, rainbow six, things like that, to you know, try to get a different look. Uh, I personally don't, but yeah, other guys on the teams do. I know. Um, I don't know if you uh, remember Tuvia Percival. Uh, he's uh, working rainbow six siege. And then we've got, a couple guys on the uh, Overwatch as well, but that I, I don't personally play. Okay, yeah, no, I mean it's it's one. I mean, there's no lack of Overwatch streams, and they've got a, a very very uh, well laid out professional league that they've unveiled this year. Uh, we we've covered it a little bit. Uh, that that's actually something that probably be interesting for you to take a look at. But just the way that that game sets up, I, I think Blizzard has done and, and continues to do really a phenomenal job at bringing in new character archetypes that can immediately fit in yet all the ones that come before are still relevant. I mean, they, they are probably the best, but you know, game studio at balancing a live game experience. And the fact that it's done in like an FPS format it, with a lot of capability outside of just like, uh, you know, Twitch skill, you know, put the crosshairs on something and let you know, digital bullets fly there's a lot of mechanics in there with each one of these characters. They do a really good job of, and that's, that was kind of one of the things that made me think through just based on how you guys work on sort of teaching professional video game tactics uh, on the web that uh, that might be something you're interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that Blizzard's first, uh, first person shooter? I, I think so. Zell, is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing that they've come out with that. I've watched the gameplay and it is uh, fairly technical. Um, I, I, I liked it a lot, but yeah, that for a hit like that right out the shoot, man, uh, in a genre that they're not really all that uh, n- known for, I'm pretty impressed. It is a, I like that league. I, I love the league play, man. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, getting leagues out there and professional gamers. So I love it absolutely. Uh, would uh, love to work with people on that. Sounds good, man. Anything else on this one, Zell? That's all I got for you. Okie dokie. Yeah, so it looks like we'll have a couple links in the description for you. We got a, the developer update video and then as well as the origin story video. And those are, I haven't watched them yet, but those are usually pretty pretty solid. The shorts they put out for these characters are, are very good. And I've commented before on, you know, I don't play Overwatch, but just like the Reinhardt origin story in like six minutes, they had me caring fairly deeply about a couple of characters I previously knew basically nothing about. Um, so they're always worth a watch, even if you're not familiar with the game. It's just now, very well done. And ju- just so you know, this isn't like uh, one of their really like full animated shorts like they, they did for Reinhardt. Mm, this okay. is uh, 
you know, much more of just a, I think I want to say it's some stills uh, along with, you know, some dialogue to, to kind of explain the character. Um, and then the developer update is, is a fairly extended um, uh, interview ish. I get, well, no, it's just kind of a, a presentation by um, uh, Jeff Kaplan, who's their, uh, you know, lead game develop designer uh, and, just explaining what the character is kind of meant to be uh, meant to be used for. Gotcha. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Does she appear in that Reinhardt short that I just mentioned? Uh, is she, she in the bar scene? Okay, so that is the yes. one I remember then. Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Look, it's about a minute long, the origin one. But you know, I always look forward to those more in-depth uh, shorts they do. They're they're very very good. Okay, so moving along here, uh, a real quick thing. So there's an older game. Uh, it came out originally on the PlayStation 1 in 1999, actually. So it, it was actually came out before I was even really getting too heavily into playing PlayStation games. Uh, it was a game put out by Square Enix, and I think Trice was the developer called Valkyrie Profile. Um, my guess is that most of the people in here probably have not played it. It's not really... Uh, the, the sort of thing that, that you guys typically pick up, but it is one that I picked up, I think, on a PC uh, ROM like five, six years after it came out. Um, and it was it was really, really good. It had one of the more uh, innovative battle systems I've seen in a game where it's kind of this mix of turn-based and combo, uh, but all done very beautiful sprites with, you know, 3D effects. It was it was gorgeous for the time it came out uh and then in 90s in sorry 2006 they actually released an updated version where they kind of reworked some of the uh, cutscenes into like full 3d graphics for them uh for the psp I, I played that version as well and really enjoyed it uh and it was very very bummed when it was not forward compatible with the ps vita because i would have loved to play it again but i just didn't want to crack out my my psp again because you know uh but however the Square Enix has teased uh, this week a trailer basically implying, not confirming, but implying that there will be either a remake or a uh, remastered version of Valkyrie Profile coming out soon. And this is kind of in line with some of the more recent ports they've done, such as Chrono Trigger and Secrets of Mana. So that's exciting. Um, if I had the chance to play it again and it was done well, I'd probably be all over it. Uh, the only thing that worries me is that the recents, like the ones I mentioned, Chrono Trigger and Secrets of Mana, have not scored too well. Uh, the ports have not been very good, and they've they've been fairly negative reviews on Steam. So um, just kind of wanted to mention it that it's you know keep an eye on it if you are a fan of the series. It's you know it's kind of a cult classic, I think. And uh, you know, fingers crossed that the remaster or port or whatever they end up doing with it is uh, of better qualities than then some of their more recent offerings. Because I would I would love to play this one again. It was very unique. Um, love the story. You know, multiple endings. I love games like that. So uh, it's it's fun stuff. And you know, I'll keep an eye on it. And if I you know get a more concrete release date uh, in the near future, I will let you all know. Another thing I wanted to mention, I, I happened to see pop up, and this is one that uh, Jay will, will actually be able to probably speak a little bit more about, is Battletech. And this is the uh, kind of tactical, turn-based uh, mech fighting game that is being put up by Hairbrain Schemes, a, a company we follow quite often. And uh, Jay has been involved in the beta uh, for this game for some while, and it looks like we finally have a launch trailer uh, announcing that the game will be coming out in April sometime this year. So, yep. you know, you'll you'll be seeing it in, you know, one to two months, basically. Uh, it looks fantastic. The trailer is pretty cool. Um, Jay, did you kind of want to give like a like a pre like a really brief, like, you know, 30 second elevator speech sure. about what this game is about? Um, so Battletech is a is a 
uh, as a property, it was originally a tabletop gaming pro product, like a, you know, then there was an RPG. It started out as a, a, uh, a fairly, you know, elaborate war gaming tabletop, uh, tabletop game many, many years ago, uh, created by a guy by the name of Jordan Wiseman, who's sort of like one of the industry legends in terms of game design from tabletop pen and paper RPG all the way up to video games. And he's working with a guy with an incredible crew. Uh, we've had Mitch Gittleman. He's one of the, uh, really the, the head of hair brain screens, uh, on the show before. So, uh, big stompy robots, you know, like mechs, you know, think, you know, multi, you know, multi stories high, like 40, 50 meters tall kind of thing, uh, effectively tanks, if you will. Uh, and they are, uh, it's a it's a very XCOM style gameplay. So it's a turn-based tactical game that takes into great account uh, a lot of different environmental factors, a lot of different factors with the mechs themselves, the pilots' abilities. It's a really really deep, uh, you know, kind of fast-flowing tactical game and uh, turn-based tactical game. I, I didn't want to. It's not real-time strategy or anything like that, uh, but. It is a phenomenally well put together game for a very very small studio that effectively kickstarted this. So uh, their model, and they've done this with several several video games, um, Bill Chatterrun games that they that they came out with a few years ago, which are still on sale on Steam and some of the best selling games on Steam. They basically put up a a certain amount of money, uh, and they say we're going to build this game anyway. They go into Kickstarter and say, and if and if you guys donate up to X amount will add the following features. So it's kind of like a la carte game, game builds. And they've got a extremely uh, successful track record of doing this. So they've did, they've done the same with Battletech. They've built a very elaborate universe around it. They brought in some, some, you know, like literally, you know, New York times bestselling authors that have worked in the Battletech universe back when it was a much bigger, uh, a much bigger deal. It was actually like out there putting uh, new RPG and, and uh, tabletop material out. So they brought one of the, the big authors back to help them out uh, to weave the story in the RPG piece. A guy named Michael Stackpole, fantastic author. The gameplay itself, really, really crisp. They when it when they rolled it out for beta and I got into it, uh, it was good. And there were continual tuning points, you know. And they're extremely open about working with the with the community. So. Uh, what I think you guys are going to see when it goes live in April is a extraordinarily polished game. Now there's, there's going to be some more bug in there somewhere. It's not going to be perfect, but, uh, it, it is a very, very polished game. It looks really good. They took a lot of the mech designs from Piranha, uh, from MechWarrior Online and, and sort of captured them into the game. Uh, but again, it's a really snappy gameplay style. You have to think to play. Uh, and you have to take a lot of things into account to be successful. And there's a very elaborate economy structure in the game too, by the way. Uh, you're basically a mercenary company, um, you know, an independent mercenary company, and you you are effectively the the company manager. You you are running, and I mean company as in like a corporation, as opposed to a like a, a military echelon, you know, company. Uh, that part of the gameplay was is surprisingly deep, uh, and, and will probably surprise a lot of folks. Like the, the actual business of running a mercenary company, and it does have a very it's got a, a very deep storyline, but it has kind of a, a, a almost procedural based game loop to it. And they they have opened up PvP in it now. So overall, I, I think this is going to be a big hit for them, and I would encourage anybody to take a look at it when it comes out in April. If you liked XCOM at all, like at all. 
you 100% need to try this game. Uh, it's, you know, I think it's going to do very well for them. And it's one of those, it's one of the ones that I desperately wish that they would bring to console, but they're, you know, Mitch is, uh, as he told us on the show, like he does not entertain anything that's not in their scope. Uh, and if the game's successful enough, then they can maybe talk about a port to console later, but highly recommended. Good stuff. Yeah. That one, that one looks real solid. If you've watched any of the gameplay at all, it's, it, it's, you know, it does it very clean, very polished. It's, you know, we'll quote unquote call it like a Kickstarter indie game. It does not look like that though. It looks like a very high budget, full production game. It's, it's fantastic. Um, so that one should be pretty cool. I'll be curious to hear Jay's final thoughts once the game actually releases and he gets to see the, the whole thing, you know, at release, that should be good. So another quick thing that happened to pop up actually came to my attention uh, via Ripley Riley. So the game Prey and Prey's game was actually uh, our second game we did for Dungeon Crawl after Resident Evil. But I think it was the first one we actually kind of finished in its entirety. Uh, really solid game. Um, kind of a cool, uh, I'll you know briefly frame it as Bioshock in space. Uh, kind of has a similar feel to it. Uh, but overall, with a very interesting, intriguing story. Uh, really good ending. Um, Liked it a lot. I think I gave it like an 8 out of 10 is when I my final review. And I kind of figured it was just done. We're like, cool. You know, it felt complete, solid, liked it, ship it, you know. Uh, but Ripley said that, hey, check out this post on Twitter from the official account. And it's kind of interesting because it shows uh, the camera kind of looking at, you know, it says uh, Talos 1, which is the... Um, the, the name of the space station you're on. And then it kind of pans to the moon, which is what's uh, been, it's been orbiting around the moon for some time, you know, in, in the game and that sort of thing. It says, you know, in the caption, do we really know what's out there? And then kind of this implied thing that the, uh, the uh, rival company of, of Transtar, which is kind of the, the corporation behind everything that's going on in the game, um, has been doing some espionage uh, involved in this whole universe. So the current read through the community is that this is going to be a possible DLC coming out for Prey. So I have no idea where they're going to take it. I imagine it would have to happen sometime in the middle of the story or have it be a separate uh, a separate character or something altogether to have it all tie in and make sense. But you know, I love that game. It was really fun. And if they were going to offer some more story, because like I said, it was a very interesting and intriguing story, I'll I'll take it. So if it does turn out to be an actual DLC, uh, we will absolutely be picking that one up and covering it as some supplementary, supplementary episodes for that Dungeon Crawl series. So, you know, I'll let you know as more details surface. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I really am fingers crossed that we get a little bit more prey because it was really good. Uh, in other news, I mentioned last week, I think, that Final Fantasy XV uh, PC Edition is coming out soon. Uh, the demo is available right now, so if you are a PC player and wanted to give Final Fantasy XV a shot, you can go try that demo right now. The PC version is going to be $50, because, you know, it, it, this game is kind of old at this point. It's about a year old. Um, so it's coming out a little bit under than the usual, like, $60 price tag. It's going to include all the DLC uh, up until this point, plus some additional features as part of the Royal Edition, which is kind of how they're marketing it as. And if you are a console player, you can actually upgrade your current copy of the game to the Royal Edition for $20. Um, a little frustrating for people like me who own the Season Pass and for kind of hoping this be included in it, but 
regardless, if you want the full experience on console now, it's going to be $20 extra on top of what you've already paid. But if you are on PC, it's going to be 50 bucks for everything. So pretty good deal. Uh, it's a real good game. Um, I suggested if you're a fan of the series, it, it's definitely a different take on how you are probably used to seeing things because it's it's the first open world game, like truly open world. Uh, and it was, it was pretty solid. Uh, good news is, however, that the DLC season that they had done previously was very, very successful. The fans really liked it. I would agree that most of the DLC was a, of good value and enjoyable. And uh, it was so successful that they said, hey, we're going to do uh, a season two of DLC. It won't be included in the season pass from the first year, but if you want to buy the next season pass, you get you know all the DLC. And they kind of talked to the team, and the team's like, you know what, we, we're feeling really good about this. We think we can do a little bit more. So instead of just three episodes this year, it's going to be four. Um, no word on how much a season pass is going to cost for that, but you know if it's anything like what we've seen so far with the current content available for the game, it's it's very solid, um, and it's gotten a lot better as they've gone along. Like the, the multiplayer expansion was basically a game within itself, um, very extensive. It was well worth the money. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm still working on it actually, but uh, you know really solid. So if you're a fan of the series, there's more to come. If you are thinking about getting your feet wet. Get on PC, try the demo out, see what you think, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Also wanted to kind of uh, roll back to uh, Monster Hunter World. I won't go too in-depth with it, just kind of wanted to, to you know, reiterate some things we've been talking about um, over the past few weeks. So the Horizon Zero Dawn Part 2 event is now live. You can do it right now if you are on PS4. It is a PS4 exclusive because... The original game was also PS4 exclusive, so you got to be playing on that console if you want to play it. Um, but if you go into your uh, event missions in your mission select and go to the event section, the mission is called Proving Grounds, and the mission is basically to hunt a giant Anjanath. And like when I say giant Anjanath, it's huge. This is the T-Rex monster if you played the game. Um, it's not too hard. You can do it pretty easily, but uh, you know it's pretty fun. You're probably going to have to do it a few times to get all the items to drop that you need, but... Once you get enough of the uh, the tokens, you have you can go and you can craft uh, basically two different things. There is a full set of armor, so kind of like the Palico event where you could craft kind of the um, the Watcher armor for the Palico, and it kind of changed its entire appearance to being kind of this Horizon Zero Dawn style robot. Uh, this is to craft the Alloy uh, armor set, and so it will turn you your entire appearance will change regardless of gender to look like the main character from Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, it is a high rank quest, which means you'll probably have to be in the latter half of the game to actually have access to it, but it's not too hard to get to that point. It's fairly low in the high rank tier. Um, the armor is okay. It's kind of more for like, you know, fun cosmetics than anything else, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's probably worth doing if you just kind of want to play around with it. Um, the other thing you can craft is Aloy's bow. This is kind of the iconic bow you see on the cover art for Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, it's pretty decent, and it actually has a second tier you can upgrade it to, so it actually stays relevant um, for a while in the game. It's not just kind of a get it, and it's just going to sit in your, in, in your inventory. You can actually use this thing. Um, that's also available. So, like I said, you'll have to do it a few times to get all of the materials needed to craft it. Um, but that is available right now, and it should be running for, uh, I think, about a week and a half more from the airing of this show. Um, also, there's another event currently going. I think it's just this week only. Uh, the event quest is called Wiggle Me This. Uh, and basically, it's real simple. You have to go in and capture 10 wigglers, which are the little snake things that come out of the ground um, with your capture net. And you'll probably have to do this maybe two or three times, and you'll get um, these three wiggler tickets, which you can then use to craft the wiggler helmet. Uh, 
I won't spoil what it looks like, but it's ridiculous and it's 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 pretty silly. But the perks it has are actually kind of decent if you're looking for kind of like a support medic build if you're playing in a group. So I would check it out. It's not too hard to do. I think our group hammered it out in like less than 15 minutes to get everything we needed. So uh, not too hard. Also, I <laughs> last night, actually, uh, we finished and finally beat the final boss of the game. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of dub a, a catchphrase for Monster Hunter World, which is basically there's always a bigger fish because you think you've beaten the big bad and they go, actually, no, there's a ton more content. You're like, OK, well, I, I finally beat the big bad. They're like, no, actually, there's there's still more content. Um, so I, I beat the final boss and then the game went, actually, there's still more content. And we're talking additional story missions, um, cutscenes, conversations with characters. Like, I'm not really sure when this game is going to end. We're kind of going into the the true end game now, which is like tempered monsters and training wheels are completely off and we're probably getting our asses kicked. But keep in mind, I bought this game on release like over a month ago. I've been playing for several hours, probably five to seven days a week. Um, it's a lot of content, like super meaty game like i'm still playing we're just looking at what they've unlocked for hey you can do these upgrades and get these weapons now there's still so much more to come so again this is like one of the best value games i've seen in a long time in terms of quality and what you get for your money i i really don't know when it's going to actually burn out i'm going to feel like there's not anything else to do because it's just the way they kind of lay it out you're like yeah i'm going to be doing this for a while and um it's fun you know it's not it's not that grindy we're kind of getting to the point where you have to you know do a few things multiple times to get like a specific piece to drop but you know it's it's not too bad you kind of make an afternoon of it and you finally get the piece you want and you move on so you know it's it's good there's tons of content the, the final boss is pretty cool but uh you know there's more to come and i'll of course be covering any events that pop up for this game because they seem to be kind of uh pushing them out pretty regularly you know new stuff like this wiggler thing i wasn't expecting they're just like oh yeah by the way Here's some new gear if you want it. And uh, I've just, I love the support for this game. It's a great game. Uh, kind of on the flip side of this, however, uh, I know we mentioned a couple weeks ago that there was a Street Fighter event for Monster Hunter where you could get iconic characters like Ryu and Sakura uh, in Monster Hunter World. Well, it goes both ways. So if you are a owner of Street Fighter V, there is a Monster Hunter World crossover event going on right now. I think it's, I think it's already started, actually. Um... And basically, there's three different characters. There's, uh, I'm not familiar with the game, so if I pronounce this wrong, I apologize. But there's Ibuki, Armika, and Ken are all having outfits that are Monster Hunter themed. And I guess there's like five armor pieces for each of them. And so uh, starting, I think, this week, um, there's going to be like one event for like the first character. And then second week, there's an event for the first and the second character. And then the third week, it's one for the first, second, and third character. So eventually, they're going to kind of build up to three of these things going on at once. Um, and you, you'll want to be coming back every week to kind of hammer out and get each piece of gear for these three characters. So like I said, it's Ibuki, Armika, and Ken. And they are themed after the Kirin, the Zenogre, and the Rathlos monster sets from Monster Hunter, respectively. So... Uh, they look pretty cool. Like they're, they're very similar to the armors you'd actually see in Monster Hunter World. Uh, we'll have a link in the description for kind of a full rollout of all of the event dates, you know, start and finish. So you can kind of dial in on what you exactly want to work on. But it looks like if you go into the extra battle mode, you will have access to these events and you can kind of hammer them out and, uh, you know, get some cool gear for your character. So it's fun to see these crossovers back and forth. Um, I have a lot of fun with it. I don't own Street Fighter V, but, you know, there are some other Capcom franchises that will probably get the nod, and uh, I'll enjoy kind of doing those uh, those crossovers, so it should be good. 
sounds pretty good. Uh, they're they're definitely going all in on this. I think they are. Uh, they're trying to capitalize on make sure they've got a, a good live community going on uh, as the game kind of continues to progress. I I still absolutely hold down that uh, they they got to do a better job of figuring out how to to socially connect people in Monster Hunter. Uh, if they can do that, they're they're going to be off to the races for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. The the multiplayer is something to be desired. At least the the way it's it's logistically structured. Uh, the gameplay itself is great multiplayer, but getting there is such a, a pain. It's it's terrible. Okay, so like I said, we'll we'll continue to cover that one. Um, I'm obviously a big fan of the game, but uh, you know we'll let you know. So let's move along though, um, and I want to talk about. You know, we talk about some some great games often on this show. You know, I I, I can be a bit of a cheerleader, I'll admit. Uh, but Jay picked up a game which I have thumbed my nose at from the get go, but he gave it a shot. Um, so if you're a fan of the Metal Gear uh, Metal Gear Solid series, you'll most definitely have heard about a game called Metal Gear Survive, which is Konami's attempt at pushing out a Metal Gear themed game after the departure of Hideo Kojima, who was kind of the, the mastermind behind that series. So this is their first game they've pushed out without him involved. Jay, kind of a quick short, how well did they do with this one? Uh, okay, so this is Jay's fresh hot take on Metal Metal Gear Survive. Um, it's, it's a grease fire. So I, I would have to give it you know, four and a half, maybe five out of 10 at best. And that's this is coming from a guy who, you know, all the way back, way, 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 way back when Metal Gear first came out uh, for the Nintendo was playing Metal Gear games. Um, I, it, it is very difficult to describe this game. So the best way I can kind of articulate it is it is a Fortnite slash survival game with some very minor tacked on PVP elements uh, and some some thread of a uh, there, there's a story in it. Um, it was originally kind of built as a PUBG style, like a Metal Gear kind of PUBG thing. That is absolutely not what it is in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it, it is one of the more annoying games that I've seen in terms of the mechanics and what you got to do. But you're, it's definitely a full-on survival game, build your base all the way from nothing, um, resource managing type thing. There, There's a lot, a lot of menu work if you do it. Uh, if you don't do it, you'll suffer for it. Uh, so that's not good. Uh, it's got a lot, like the, the, the gameplay mechanics themselves, I mean, it does take a lot out of like, what is it, Metal Gear 5? So there's a lot of things that will feel, feel comfortable to you, but there's a, there's a really shaky sort of melee combat system that's involved. It's very clumsy. And it's also incredibly uh, important. That's where most of the, the combat takes place in the game. So it is it is not the classic sort of stealth um, stealth problem solver kind of game that that's really what I'd attribute most Metal Gear to uh, over the course of that lifestyle. And it's also a crazy, crazy sort of... Um, you know, entry point into it. So basically, literally, like, I'm going, like, here's how this works. You, your character gets sucked into a wormhole uh, that uh, appears, that, that then leave, takes you to this alternate dimension. And this is all in-game, by the way. It's very upfront about this. And then you keep hearing certain words and names of characters and places that are replete throughout the Metal Gear game history 
just to very ham-fistedly hit you upside the face that hey this is this is in the metal gear world gear world yeah yeah this is the game you like like it you know this is all about those games you used to like this is what it's about it's not it's horrible so uh and you have so long story short it's it's overly complex in many areas you have to manage your thirst your hunger and your oxygen all simultaneously and at some points in the game and it is horrendous. You are more focused on getting a drink of water or kill, killing a random sheep or rodent so you can eat as opposed to actually do any kind of PvP or any kind of tactical gameplay. Um, it's it's just simply not fun. Uh, and it's kind of a shame that they slapped the words Metal Gear on it. So that's my uh, fresh hot take on this one. And that's that's roughly about four and a half hours of gameplay. And, and no, I'm not going to play anymore. So that's about as thick of a, a review as we're going to get on the, uh, <laughs> on the website. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, these, and I won't get into the drama behind it, but with, you know, uh, Hideo Kojima being kind of kicked out of Konami and them just immediately pushing out this, not a metal gear game. We're going to call a metal gear game and then do a really shitty job at it. I'm like, I'm not going to even touch that thing with a stick. You know, it's just, it need just on, a, on principle alone, much less, you know, value for, for money. You know, it's, uh, I wasn't going to touch it. I'm, I'm surprised you did, but I'm glad you can confirm my suspicions that it was going to be just a total hot mess. So hey, Everybody's got to be a team player and take you, you, one. Someone's <laughs> got to take it for the team and play back your survive. I saw the Fantastic Four movie for my friends. It's so. true. Yeah, that's it's true. true. David. Yeah, we, did, we definitely pushed you off the plank on that one, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Uh, so moving along here, uh, real quick. So, you know, we, we kind of do this monthly thing where we talk about some of the free games that come with your, uh, subscription. If you're subscribed to kind of the premium service for both, uh, PlayStation and Xbox. So, you know, me and bait kind of bounces one back and forth. We've been terrible about doing our weekly reviews on it because I've been buying a house and that basically sucks up all of your sanity. So, you know, we're going to try to get back into that, but uh, I did kind of want to jump back in with the month of March on what's going to be available if you are a PlayStation plus subscriber. So God, there's, there's some good stuff this this month. So uh, for PS4, if you are PS plus subscriber, uh, you get ratchet and clank, which I hear is, is very good. I have not played it, but I hear people rave about it and I'm sure I'll get yelled at for not playing it. But the granddaddy of freebies is going to be Bloodborne. So if you are at all familiar with the Dark Souls franchise or know the moniker of Dark Souls or what everyone uses as as a reference for everything, Bloodborne is the PlayStation 4 exclusive that's kind of... it's, it's It's by, you know, the same developer, same producer. It's not part of the Dark Souls universe directly, if you're familiar with that series, but it is definitely in that style of game um i have played it in its entirety um there's only one dlc boss i can't beat because the orphan of cost is an asshole um i might try to go back and finish that off for kind of a full review um but i have played the whole game and i will give my thoughts on it next week kind of as a a full proper review but you know the the 10 second review is that it's it's fantastic it's kind of one of my if I had to pick like my top five games, it's on that list. Um, just incredibly well designed. It's gorgeous. It plays wonderfully. It's awesome. Um, you know, like I said, I'll do like a, a more proper in-depth review next week. But if you are a PS Plus subscriber, I would get this game just to kind of be part of everything that that kind of style of game is. You know, you you'll hear the name Dark Souls thrown around a lot. Um, like I said, this is in that, in that same boathouse. So. 
get a taste of it. Kind of understand what people are talking about if you haven't already, because it is going to be free for you. Um, and it will be worth your time. And you'll, you will die, like, horribly. Like, you will absolutely get your ass kicked if you're not familiar with the series. But that's kind of part of the whole experience. And that, that's kind of what makes it fun. So give it a shot. Um, and I'll come back next week and kind of uh, give my thoughts on it. Um, also, Jay's got a note in here, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition Super Deluxe Edition, and that's all the DLC and add-ons, is that correct? Is yep. 10, 10 bucks for PS4? Yeah, I downloaded it uh, this weekend. It's literally every every DLC campaign add-on and a, and a bunch of the, the different uh, sort of cosmetic and like in-game item uh, sort of packs that they had all rolled up into one big thing for, for 10 bucks. And it, it, that if you want to talk about value gaming... If you dig RPGs at all, like, you know, kind of uh, modern version RPGs, uh, that is definitely one that you need to buy. Sounds good. And, and that's on PS4, right? That's correct. We don't play that Xbox bullshit here. We don't play that Xbox. Yeah, it's, that's true. That's that's for, you know, kids and, and weebs like bait. All right. Um, <laughs> we'll get to Xbox in a second here. Um, but real quick, PlayStation 3 as well. If you're a PS Plus subscriber, you do get some freebies. Uh, Legend of K and Mighty Number no. Nine is available. Um, I've heard Mighty Number no. Nine is terrible. <laughs> it was supposed to be this this Kickstarter Mega Man, uh, you know, reboot. Not a, not a reboot, but just kind of a Mega Man style. I heard it didn't go well, but uh, you know that is available if you want to give it a shot and see what that controversy was all about. And uh, PlayStation Vita, you've got Claire Extended Cut and Bombing Busters. Uh, another kind of note to, to kind of point out is that this month, uh, Sony did come out and say that basically in March of 2019, so one year from now, they will be discontinuing the freebie PS Plus uh, service for PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita, um, which is really reasonable. I mean, those those systems are, are quite old now in terms of, you know, what's currently, you know, selling and in what's actually being produced a number of players so you know you still have a year of content if you are a playstation 3 or vita user and you you know want to take advantage of that for your you know ps plus however just they want to give you kind of a full year's warning like hey you know this time next year that's going away and it'll probably be ps4 only moving forward so just keep that in mind uh so bait are you if you're still alive because Bates slowly dying um tell us what's going to be free next uh, month for xbox one and xbox 360 if you are a gold subscriber man if you're an xbox uh gold subscriber now is a shitty time of the month to be playing video games man so uh for the entire month of march on your xbox one you're going to get trials of the blood dragon uh which is kind of this um this trials evolution meets uh um Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon, so it's Trials kind of set in that same kind of uh, art style, this very futuristic cyberpunk kind of thing going on. So if you like Trials, then uh, this is totally your game. And then you got Super Hot in the uh, second half of the month rolling into the first half of April. I don't know anything about Super Hot. I think I've heard good things about it. Um, Super Hot's an amazing game, and it's it? even okay. better in VR. Yeah, okay, if, if you if you have the option to play it like on PlayStation in VR, it is worth the money as a really really cool um, VR experience. And if you just play it um, normally, it's also a really cool experience. Like that that's a very good game. Okay, cool. So I guess you're not fucked uh, than Xbox people. So and then for the 360, we have the greatest game of the year. Uh, we have Brave. Uh, which is the game that they did based on that uh, that Disney flick uh, with the little Scottish girl and the bow and arrow. Um, you had a 
Disney game as a freebie? Fuck yeah, dude. For the first 15 <laughs> days of March. Oh, uh, boy. Then we okay. got Quantum Conundrum uh, for the second half of the month. All right. Well, sounds moderately good. Um, Super Hot's definitely worth trying, though, if you've got the chance. Like, it's, it's a really cool idea where... Um, time is frozen and it only moves forward when you move your character. And so everything kind of turns into this matrix style um, bullet time where you're kind of slowly dodging bullets and, and doing crazy stuff where you're like throwing guns at people and, and tossing things up in the air. It, it plays less like an action game, more like a puzzle, but it's a first person puzzle. So worth a shot. It's very unique um, and it's, it's absolutely worth your time uh, if it's free, but I, I would pay for it as well. It's, it's very good. I will give a review on that then. Yeah, so I expect a full review bait in two weeks after I talk about Bloodborne for three hours. I can do that. Sweet. All right, guys. Um, I think we're pretty good here on time. Is there any other topics you wanted to cover real quick um, before we kind of go into shout-outs here? Yeah. Wanna... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one of the things that, that uh, we want to kind of bring Nomex on for, he has mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of built a very interesting sort of niche in, in the game sort of video game space. Um, he's very much sort of uh, in my my sort of age bracket, kind of grew up and was one of those uh, sort of, you know, gener- you know video video game natives uh, from, from start point. So probably very early on in his life, very much like mine, like we're, we're about old enough that you could have always played something somewhere, all the way from the Atari 2600 to a Pong, all the way up to where we're at now. Um, and so he, he's kind of been a, a native to that world. So uh, over the over the years, so Pokey and I met him through, like I said, a variety of other uh, video games that we've played. Uh, you know, sort of community-based video games, social space video games that required, you know, a, a fair amount of uh, cooperation to grad, you know, cooperation and graduation, so to speak, just to to play and have some fun. And uh, one of the things that that uh, Nomex has done in multiple games he's actually carrying it forward into some multimedia work that he's doing now he actually takes people on and and literally kind of trains them how to play given games uh and he uses a variety of different like actual you know you know no kidding uh adult learning model uh techniques uh and some basic educational uh techniques that that he uses in his you know kind of uh non-gaming world and it's a pretty fascinating little uh kind of endeavor that he's taken on and he's been doing it for gosh i mean I, th- that i've known him probably five years um you know in some level or another and, he, and he's actually operating at a, at a pretty high pace right now in terms of he brings people on and, and again you're learning a lot of things through a video game but he's a big proponent of how do you learn things through a video game uh how do you and not just like rote specific skills but more along the lines of like, how do you think? It's more like teaching you how to solve problems dynamically and how to think in sort of, you know, logical steps that you can then chain together uh, to solve other problems. And again, it uses a lot of sort of tried and true adult learning model techniques to do this. And this is one of the reasons we want to bring uh, Nomex on a little bit to kind of talk a little bit about what he's doing and and, uh, some of the games that he's showcasing right now in his Twitch stream, which is, I think uh, you're probably about six or eight months old, like in earnest. And he's putting out some content, I'd say probably around two, three times a week. He's got some really good stuff that goes out there. And he really breaks down the, you know, what they're doing in the game. Very much like if you were to listen to one of those Saturday, uh, you know, Saturday NFL shows, as they're talking about the games that are about to come on Sunday, you know, you got all the the former coaches 
you know, ex quarterbacks and scouts that are on the, on their breaking down film and actually going through, what does it mean when you see certain things on the screen? That's very much what Nomex does uh, for, for game players. Uh, so without further ado, what I want to do is kind of turn this over to Nomex a little bit and just talk a little bit about some of the things that, uh, that you've got going on right now in you know, sort of the video game community writ large. Yeah, thanks. That was a uh, awesome intro there. I'd like to appreciate it, Jason. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if I'd look kind of like one thing uh, anybody can get into right away is uh, Jane McGonigal uh, wrote a book. It's called Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World. Um, as you mentioned, Jason, I go way back. Uh, uh, definitely an old school gamer here um, uh, like you. And... Um, one thing I noticed is that uh, there are a lot of kids today that don't have that um, seem not to have been taught how to uh, look at goals and achieve goals. And my background uh, in my life has been working with individuals and teams uh, to help them achieve their goals. And I've been really infor- been very fortunate in that capacity. And that's what I'm really doing with DAR is uh, trying to reach out like we did in Dust 514 uh, to uh serious gamers, really part-time and full-time gaming professionals who want to better themselves and the gaming community they're hanging around with through basically applying some leadership and mentoring processes that help their teammates achieve their real life goals and their gaming goals. And, you know, we use the gaming medium uh, to teach them how to set those goals, how to set intermediate reachable goals that are going to improve what they do. And then some of the things, excuse me, we do and we bring to the table with that are like, uh, we have individual training objectives, and you know, right now we're working in Battlefield 1 and 3, and those individual uh, learning objectives are just for individuals to look at how, how is their gameplay developing, uh, importantly, how much of a team asset are they being, and then we get into the team uh, training objectives, and we really kind of came up against that in uh, Dust 514. Um, it's uh, it was not pretty easy, but it wasn't unusual to see people getting redlined and getting frustrated. And so what we did is we came up with these uh, individual and team objectives that allow the uh, individual and the team to focus on things they can do rather than the things they can't do, uh, like punching a hole, finding a gap and punching a hole, infiltrating an enemy's line uh, and, and starting to cause uh, some hell in the background for them. So they got to take their focus on what they think they're doing and uh, shift that elsewhere. But you know, the big thing for that is we like to think we're teaching people, uh, the getting them to become what we call basically like independent operators. People can kind of think on their own, think on their feet, bring teams together, show them uh, through leadership and mentoring process how they can do the exact same thing for their teams and uh, for the video game industry. Uh, so that's kind of a dar in a real brief nutshell. Yeah, no, and I think yeah, I think you've hit on something again. It's uh, you know when I was referring to some of the adult learning model uh, techniques that you guys use, a lot of a lot of what uh, Nomex Dar that's direct action resources. That's it's one of their kind of marquee game community pieces that uh, that they sponsor. They uh, they effectively use what I would refer to as just based on some basic sports and team psychology method mechanisms for communicating, and this is where. Um, you know, I find these things, these type of things interesting. So uh, if you ask a lot of people, how do you get better at playing a video game? Usually they'll say, just play the, vi- play the video game more. And if you look at a lot of the esports that are out there now, there's 
there are some, but most of them have a team component to them. The Overwatch League probably being the, the one that we've talked about on here recently uh, in a couple shows. That is a, you know, by its nature, that is a team-centric game. And there's a lot of collaboration that's got to go on. It's not just as simple as Twitch skills. Very important at that level. Uh, you're talking about literally millions of dollars of prize money on the line. But the, a lot of the dynamics in terms of team dynamics uh, and sort of collective training that goes on, that's something that's that I think, you know, the pro video game scene is the esports crowd is really kind of just starting to get into. And mostly when you look at their coaches right now, the majority of them are just guys that played a lot of video games. Uh, now you probably got some guys that, you know, as they matured, they were able to, to use a lot of different communication skills and some, and, you know, perhaps natively some good education skills with people. But I, I think one of the things you're bringing is, is a is literally teaching it and training it as though it were, a professional skill or a, a subject of learning. And that's one of the first things that, that I noticed that some of your material is, is noticeably different because you can watch any number of YouTube videos that talk about like, Hey, how do you do a thing better? But it's the way you attack it from you know, basically a professional educator standpoint that I think is, is somewhat unique. Uh, could you talk a little bit about maybe uh, some of the things that you've seen in terms of taking that approach vice you know, sort of the, hey, we'll, you know, shoot faster or move better or hit X, you know, you know, a little bit better than you're doing. That's, that's simplistic stuff. But what are some of the things that you've seen when you're kind of taking that more professional educator model to making people a little bit better at gaming? Yeah. And, you know, you, I, I think you really hit it on the head there, Jason, you're talking about getting people into the, uh, into the electronic sports industry. And that is, I, I've found um, as you mentioned, if you look at uh, the professional gamers, um, sh surely they have awesome skills, and there's no doubt about that. But I think what a lot of younger players are missing is the fact that, yeah, they definitely have awesome skills, but they are working like hell with that with their team because there's so many things that you can do as a team that you can't do as an individual. And so one of the things we really look at is that teamwork. I mean, I, I personally, uh, in gaming with people, my highest form of enjoyment is working with a team, communicating with that team, and getting everybody's brains on, you know, what's what's the problem in front of us. So it's that on the ground, immediate tactical problem solving skills with the team uh, that if you can make that happen uh, with your group that you're playing with and really work as a team, I find that's where the greatest enjoyment comes from. You get the highest highs in your gaming, working with your team. Uh, you obviously get the lowest lows that come along with that, but those highs make up for it. And, um, you know, it's basically what we're doing is, as you've said, we're taking this adult learning approach uh, that my, my background is military and contract work, and we're taking that information, the neuroscience behind that, the mental management um, uh, behind that, uh, for instance, like Lanny Bassman's mental management program, uh, we utilize that in uh, individual performance, and you can do the same thing for the team performance. Uh, so we use a, kind of a lot of the cutting edge um, training techniques, and we just simply apply that, you know, what we use in the real world, applying that to the gaming world for individuals and teams, and it is very effective. It's very effective. Um, you know, I, we'd, uh, I think we've got enough people in the, the Dust 514 community that would say, hey, you know, for uh, a bunch of scrubs running around in cheap suits, uh, those guys weren't doing too bad. Um, and, you know, shaping the battlefield to our liking and 
So it's it's all about that teamwork, and uh, that's really what we're all about is teaching people how to set those goals and achieve those goals through the teamwork, the support of the team. Not just a it doesn't have to be a thing you do on your own, and it's done best if it's not done on your own. And you know, you listen to these higher end gamers and their coaches, and you know what they're always talking about is. Um, you know, you can have great mad skills as an individual, but if you can't bring that together for the use of the team, there's really no need for you here because we need to win. You know, that's how we make the money. We win. We got to go in here. We got to work as a team. And if you don't have that, you can't work as a team. You're always going to be frustrated in your gaming. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, uh, again, I think that's a, this is a bit of a kind of a novel approach. And in, 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 in in some small way, I think this is a, a minor marker of sort of the evolution of where games are and how we're we're treating them uh, in, t- in terms of not really just an esports model, but they're pervasive and, and well saturated into most people's most people most people's lives. Excuse me. So I think taking some of these models is it's probably inevitable. And uh, if it wasn't somebody like you, and there's probably a few others out there, they're kind of cracking some ice on this one to do it. It would have probably been somebody, you know, that's, you know, probably around age 30 right now, you know, somebody that was truly a digital native, native, if you, if you will. Uh, but I think you're probably definitely starting to break some trail for, for people in terms of how do you approach these things? Um, one of the things uh, that Nomex and I have in common is we, we've also used different types of gaming, uh, in, you know, quite a bit in our military careers. Uh, and there's a lot of ways that that happens. And, and this is something that is actually kind of interesting. It's probably, you know, a great topic for another day. We could have you on, uh, Nomex. We can talk about sort of how other, other places use gaming. We do it mostly for enjoyment. Uh, but there are aspects of the military that uses effectively gaming and simulation techniques, uh, for a lot of training. Uh, and I think it's just kind of neat that we're bringing into, like I said, a, a much more uh, sort of professional and sort of like well, well-developed well system of how do you teach people to be good at these things. And again, yeah. it's just a skill. It, yeah. Just- yeah. And I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Definitely would love to talk about that more. Uh, just as a quick side note is uh, I kind of first got the idea of uh, this specifically due to some of my work overseas. And I remember walking into a, uh, a, uh, gaming room and watching these guys that I worked with who were uh, all professionals in their field and listening to them game and listening to them start to come together as a team. And I was like, wow, hey, you know, this is uh, perfectly transferable to the uh, any market you really want to as far as gaming, bringing that in and teaching self-improvement through that and teamwork. So I'm absolutely all over that. Love to talk about that sometime. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll we'll definitely have you back on at some point, and uh, we can kind of kick that around. Like I said, I think a lot of people would be kind of surprised at how gaming fits in other parts of the world outside of you know their own living room and a PlayStation or their office and a and a computer. Absolutely. Uh, so with that, I think let's uh, I'm gonna kick this back over to Pokey, and we'll uh, hop into shoutouts and uh, wrap this one up. Okay. Well, thanks, Jay. That sounds really good. Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot to learn, and, and I've always been a big fan of the work that Nomex does, and we'll definitely revisit that and have it back on the show and, and probably talk more in depth about it. But uh, I'm again, I love your stuff, man, and I think it's great to, to kind of be involved with it. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you guys. I love the work I did with you guys at OSG, and I'm happy to be uh, back part of, the, part of the team. I appreciate it. Sounds good, man. So kind of a thing we do uh, at the end of every show is we kind of do a shout-out. So just kind of a 
a quick, you know, you want to do a shout to someone or something or something you thought was cool for the week and just kind of want to give props. Um, so we'll, we'll have you go last. If you can't think of anything in that time, that's fine. We'll we'll just pass over and that's cool. But Oh, uh, it's fine if he doesn't have anything. It's because, but, Zal, you've been doing yeah, this for he... like almost 200 episodes, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... My shout out is actually going to go to uh, a voice actor by the name of Paul Eating. So if you are a fan of the Metal Gear Solid series, you will recognize him as Colonel Royal Colonel Roy Campbell. He's a very prevalent character in the series, and he has a, a pretty iconic voice. And you often would hear him kind of giving um, mission briefings or mission updates to Snake, the main character. So he was mostly through a you know a intercom that sort of thing. Um, so we don't get political on this show. You know, it's wherever you're at, you're at. We don't like to mix politics and gaming. But if you are at all familiar with what's currently going on with the investigation uh, into potential collusion with uh, Russia regarding, you know, the 2016 election, you've probably heard that there were several Russian individuals that were indicted in you know this the last couple of weeks here. And the, a report came out um, kind of detailing what happened and, and why they're being indicted and that sort of thing. Um, and some reporter made the comment that this sound that like he said this this report sounds like a Metal Gear Solid mission briefing, and this caught the attention of this guy who does Colonel Roy Campbell. So he then read the report um, in you know the voice of the character as like a mission like detailing to Snake. You know, here's what's going on. Here's what you have to do. Um, it's hilarious. So if you're a fan of the series, um, I definitely suggest you check it out. We'll have the, the link in the description to where you can find the video, but, uh, it's pretty funny stuff, regardless of where you stand on any of the political mess. Um, as a gamer, it's, it's a pretty fun reference. So that's my shout out. And now I'm going to hand it to Zell and Zell does not get to skip because Zell has been here for 197 episodes. I am, I am so, giving my shout out there you uh, go. to, uh, to Nomax for giving me this nostalgia. Uh, back when we used to, you know, have guests like every week, and uh, it was nice to come back here and have a guest this week. So, shout out to Nomax. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, Bate, you're up, man. Yeah, dude. So since I've been sick for, I think like three days now, I've had a lot of time to watch, uh, to watch TV and catch up on shit. And uh, the other day, I was browsing Reddit, and I was made uh, aware of this this mini series. Um, Based on a book by a guy called uh, Evan Wright, he's a, he's a reporter for Rolling Stone at the time. He actually was uh, planted in with, uh, I think it was, it was the 1st Marine Reconnaissance Battalion uh, in 2003 during the start of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, after the book came out and whatnot, uh, a couple of years ago, David Simon, uh, who did work on uh, The Wire, which is a fantastic show if you haven't seen it, um, they kind of got together and they made a mini series and it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know if it's if it's anywhere else, but I watched it on Prime and it's called Generation Kill and if it's seven episodes long and they're about an hour for each episode and it's a really interesting look um, into into the minds and the, what these guys uh, uh, went through at the start of, of uh, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. Um, so that's my shout out. I thoroughly enjoyed the mini series. Um, and it made me want to start uh, watching uh, Band Brothers again. So I got five episodes into that today. Um, so, yeah, that's my shout-out. Sounds good, man. All right, Jay, you're up. Okay. Um, my shout-out is to Sir Roger Bannister. Uh, he passed away today at the age of 88. Uh, he was the first man to break the four-minute mile in Oxford, England. 
you know, he was a medical student in college at the time and, and he did something that, uh, you know, and I'm always in awe of people that go f- further, uh, not necessarily just from a distant standpoint, but from what is expected. And uh, so Roger Bannister, he broke a what was previously considered a human limit limitation that would never be broken, which was the four minute mile. Uh, and he ran a three minute, 59.4 second mile uh, on the track at England. And that was a, uh, a phenomenal thing. It doesn't sound like much, you know, for a lot of people nowadays. But, uh, you know, for me, it was, a uh, you know, he was somebody I always looked up to and, and sort of like read quite a bit about every time I could get an article or a book about him. Uh, when I was growing up, I would read it because I was, I was a runner. And uh, just want to kind of give a quick shout out to us, Roger Bannister. Again, uh, anybody that breaks a limit uh, that is sort of arbitrarily set on humankind uh, and does so willingly and knowingly, uh, I've got to give him a shout out for that. So that would be my shout out today. All right. Good stuff, man. Uh, and Nomex, do you have a shout out for this week? Yeah, actually, I do. I'm going to uh, give a shout out to a uh, old mentor of mine. His name's Bruce Ivor Goodmanson. Uh, he is the uh, case method chair at the Marine Corps University. He's just now getting into the uh, digital. Just now getting into digital universe. Really nice to see. Uh, he's got a uh, couple of sites up. I'll share those with you guys uh, so you can put those up next time we chat about this, but uh, definitely out to Bruce. Welcome to the digital age. And um, he's got a lot of really good stuff that uh, he's letting out to the general public now. And I'm hoping we can get Bruce into uh, hopefully uh, into looking at some gaming and uh, coming in here. His case study, uh, case method study uh, is uh, pretty spot on, pretty fun. Uh, Can be transferred over here in the gaming community too. So my shout out to Bruce. All right, sounds good, man. Um, with that being said, I think we got a pretty good show hey, here. To, oh, hey, real quick, hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Nomex, where, uh, what's your what's your Twitter feed and your Twitch feed? Like, how can uh, people find bad. you? <laughs> yeah, uh, our uh, website, which we're kind of getting away from, we're going more toward the uh, Discord channel. We're uh, www.directactionresources.com. Make sure you get the www in there. For some reason, it's not coming up, but that's okay. We're kind of right now moving away from the website. Uh, we are Direct Action Resources in Twitch. Uh, I am Nomex Gallatin. You can get me Nomex underscore G uh, on Twitch and uh, Nomex in Facebook. And then we have Direct Action Resources also on uh, Facebook and, and in Google Plus as well. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, I think we should be good then. Uh, you know, as always, if you have any topics you want us to cover or if you want to be on the show, you know, we obviously still have guests. Um, not as frequent as we used to, but we're always welcome to have them in. And uh, just let us know. Biomass.com or biomass.net. All of our contact information is there. Uh, also, Bate and I are very active in the Dust514 Veterans Discord. Um, so you can catch us there. Just hit us up if you have any questions. Be more than happy to help you. But uh, That being said, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week.